Good morning, uh, church family. Um, thank you, Ruth, and um, other folks who, who took time to share with us about the various reconciler events that are coming up. I just want to add a further plug and encourage all of you to attend those gatherings as we continue to remind us every week that the core of our mission is to be reconciled, to be reconcilers. So take advantage of these events. They are what it means to follow Jesus, about discipleship. So I want to encourage all of us. Uh, I plan to attend one as well. So I, I want to encourage all of us to take some time out and make that a priority. We are continuing our sermon series on spiritual warfare called The Unseen Battle. And I want to, I want to begin this morning by asking a question. And the question is, how would your life go? Imagine, if you were totally surrendered to Jesus totally filled with the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God. And if you're living in a way where every aspect of your life you are pleasing, utterly pleasing to God, how do you think your life would go? Uh, we don't have to wonder because we know from Scripture that there actually was someone who was totally surrendered to God, who was filled with the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God, in every way possible, was obedient and pleasing to God. His name was Jesus. But we see a picture of how his life went. We find a story in a passage that's familiar to you, because I come back to this again and again and again. It's the, it's the story of Jesus being baptized. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, we read, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending, on, uh, uh, descending like a dove, alighting on him, verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And then chapter 4, verse 1. Now remember, the original text didn't have chapters and verses. They were put in by, by editors, right? So, so this is just Matthew just telling the story. And then verse 1 of chapter 4 we literally, in English translation, says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, this is totally going to be sort of counterintuitive, so I need you to stay with me. The word then literally is thus or therefore. The overarching principle that Matthew is trying to get across is this. Jesus experiences spiritual baptism, therefore spiritual battle. Jesus experiences spiritual baptism, so therefore, spiritual battle. Jesus hears a voice from heaven, therefore, voice from hell. Now, this is just upending what a lot of us have believed. But I need you to, I need you to sit with me and follow me, okay? The principle is when you experience spiritual baptism, spiritual battle will follow. When you experience voice from heaven, hear voice from heaven, then you will immediately hear voice from hell. And this just absolutely abends, I think, a subtle lie. And the most dangerous lies are subtle, right? That we've heard, I think, growing up in the Western church. And that is this. That is when you become a Christian, what? Your life becomes smooth sailing. When you follow Jesus, surrender your life to Jesus, and everything goes well, then problems disappear. Which is a massive problem, because when you look at what Jesus said and did, you don't see that in Scripture. We follow one who said what? 
in this world you will have trouble. All right? You will have trouble. Now, the good news is what? Don't worry because I've overcome the world. That's the good news. The good news is not, if you follow me, there will be no trouble. Jesus is the one who also said, I am sending you out like what? Sheep among wolves. Somewhere, though, we, we, we came up with this notion that if you follow Jesus, you're promised a life without tears, without hardship, without opposition. So what happens, though, think about this. When we think we're doing everything right, and all of a sudden, spiritual warfare, conflicts and battle happens in our workplaces, in our marriages, with our kids, with our parents, the church. What happens when all of a sudden there's massive opposition coming our way? How many of us react by going, oh, well, I must be exactly where I need to be? How many of us go where I am exactly where I need to be and doing exactly what God wants me to do? No, the vast majority of us go, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. What, what's, what's happening? Why, why, why is this happening to me? Is God with me? Am I side of God's will? Are you following me, church? I, I, what do we see in Matthew? We see Jesus being utterly led by the Spirit. He is filled by the Spirit. He is given to the Spirit. He is living his life in a way that's utterly, utterly pleasing to God. And yet, how does his life go? He is encountering enormous spiritual opposition and battle. See, here is absolutely paradigm-shifting truth that I need you to come around when we talk about spiritual warfare, and that is this. That is that the more God pours his strength, the more you experience peace and power of the Spirit in your life, the more conflict, the more battle, the more opposition you will face. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Anybody who says, I am finally ready to surrender my all, give my all, submit to his lordship, you will absolutely encounter pressure and temptation like never before, opposition like never before. We learned this powerful truth last week. The world is divided into two kingdoms, kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. We also know that there are only two humanities in the world, those who serve the kingdom of light and those who serve the kingdom of darkness. You know who said, whoever is not with me is against me? Jesus did. Luke chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus made it clear when it comes to battle, there is no neutral. There is no neutral. You are either advancing the kingdom of God or in your activity or inactivity, passivity, being neutralized, helping Satan advance the kingdom of darkness. Wherever there's progress in the kingdom of God, progress of peace, justice, love, there is a counterattack that will always follow. That's why you can tell a genuine Christian, real authentic faith from the warfare, conflict, and opposition in your life in as much as peace. So Christian, how's your life going? I mean, how's your life going these days? Is your life totally tranquil, totally peaceful? There's no warring inside with our old nature that, wants, that wars against the work that God wants to do. There's no warring outside from demonic forces and powers that are at work to steal, kill, and destroy. If you are someone who is being obedient to God, following God, and experiencing major opposition, 
there is nothing wrong with you, child of God. You are exactly where God wants you to be. Don't hear that voice. Don't listen to that voice that says, what are you doing wrong? Are you in God's will? What? You might be exactly where God wants you to be. The Christian life is a fight. Everybody say fight. Fight. The Christian life is a fight. Can I just, look, look. This is how much I think the Western church, especially the American church, we've bought and consumed this, this false notion of Christianity. You know, every time I ask people who are discerning God's will, I go, how do you know you're in the center of God's will? vast majority of the people will go, I have what? Peace about it. Now listen, listen. I am not, I am not in any way saying that peace and expressing peace is not a measure barometer of God's work in your life. But I just want to say, don't overplay the peace card. Listen, can I ask you something? Do you think on the night that Jesus is, 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 is about to, is, is, is about to uh, uh, go to the cross, and he is in Mount Gethsemane, and he is, the Bible says, drop, dropping blood, sweat, sweat and blood, as he's thinking about the agony of the cross. Do you think Jesus is sitting there going, hmm, I have peace and calm? Do you think when Jesus is on the cross, enduring the wrath of God, he is experiencing what you and I think of as peace, and yet Jesus is in the center of God's will? I'm going to tell you from my experience, that there are times when I experience total peace doing things that are absolutely contrary to what God wants me to do. I'll say that again. Some of y'all out there, you're listening. You're, you're, you're so far from where God wants you to be, and yet you have total peace about it. And then others of us are experiencing enormous anxiety and enormous even fear because you are doing the very thing that God wants you to do. The peace that God gives is peace, the Bible says, that surpasses understanding. Doesn't make any sense. Why? Because it's peace in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the opposition, in the midst of the warfare, not despite. We're talking about spiritual warfare. And we came across this massive truth last week that I'm hoping that not, I don't have to, you know, talk a lot about, that there's this invisible world that's just as real as the visible world. And we don't have to convince people of that reality these days, that there is an invisible world of germs and viruses that is killing people. There is an invisible world that you can't see, the Bible says. This is just as real as touching your skin, hugging your kids, kissing your loved ones, tasting food, watching sunset. But the Bible also affirms something else, and that is that what happens in the invisible world impacts what happens in the visible world. The Bible says that we are in an unseen battle against invisible forces whose aim, and this is hard language, but I need you to listen, whose aim is to terrorize your soul, render you utterly impotent as a follower of Jesus, to take you out and make you worthless for the cause of Christ, and to make your life one of misery and constant defeat. He's not messing around. And if you want any, any chance of winning this battle, the first step, and that's why we're talking about this, you have to be aware. You have to be aware. You have to be aware of the battle. If you don't know that you're in a battle, you'll never win. So, Christian, let me ask you, 
When's the last time? Those of you that are very familiar with spiritual warfare and those that are just new to the journey and maybe frankly even skeptical. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you considered some of the struggle or conflict in your life, the roots of it could be spiritual warfare, demonic opposition? Maybe your marriage troubles aren't just about communication issues. Maybe, you know, the darkness and the heaviness that just comes out of nowhere and just overwhelms you, almost paralyzes you. Maybe that's not just because you're having a bad day. Maybe, maybe, have you considered that maybe your anger and your resentment and the bitterness that you have isn't just because of what he did to you or what she said to you? Maybe your addictions and habits that you've struggled with for years Maybe the overwhelming uh, desire for, so for, for lust that seems to come out of nowhere. And the shame, oh, the shame, the shame from past mistakes just out of nowhere, right? We're just driving, we're at work, we're just walking. And all of a sudden, this overwhelming sense of shame for mistakes that God's already forgiven you for, sets you free from. And it's not just, oh, coincidence. Maybe. The voice that you hear that says, God will never forgive you for that. Oh, he'll forgive them. Not you. Maybe, maybe the voice that, that, that comes and says, if God was really good, like Pastor Peter always talks about, then why would he? If God was truly love, then how could he? Have you considered the ways in which demonic forces are waging war? Every single day against you. You and I are in a spiritual battle with eternal ramifications. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul lays out what the battle is, who the enemy is, where the battle is fought, and how we can fight this fight to experience victory. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 20, is where we are going to be sort of parked. It's going to be the primary passage out of which we're going to go a number of places in Scripture. So have your Bibles ready. And as you are opening to Ephesians chapter 6, let me say this. Remember like last week, what I did last week was we read through the entire passage and I brought out two, three broad implications what I want to do today is I want to go through verse by verse and also bring out some implications that are also going to be very broad so I just want to give you a heads up we're not going to go deep you're going to there are going to be times where you're going to go oh I wish he would talk longer about that go deeper we will we will we will in the upcoming weeks. So today what I want to do is, like I said, bring out some truths that, that we are going to in the upcoming weeks go deep real deep okay so here we go Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Finally there's a lot to that. Finally, if you're here last Sunday, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That word power is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get the English word what? Dynamite. Okay? Dynamite. There are a number of commands in this text, and this is the first one. It's a general command. And the command is in the present tense, passive voice, to which some of you Bible students are like, oh, I want to hear more. And then others are like, I have no idea what that means. That's okay. I'm going to unpack this for you. The fact that it's in the present sense, be strong, means that it's something that you are continually to do on an ongoing basis. 
to be strong. It's not something you do once and then you're done. No, it's continually ongoing. It's in the passive voice, though, which means it's something that I'm commanded to do. Now watch this, watch this. But I have to allow it to be done to me. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, allow yourself to be continually strengthened by the power already made available to you. To which you go, what power is that? Paul already told us the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that now lives in you. Come on, somebody. Just, I know, I know. See, some of us, we've heard this all. We're like, yeah, I know that. Just sit for a moment and think about this. God says, I need you to be strong. Allow yourself to be strong. By what? Power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The, the power that breathed life into that lifeless body and brought the Son of God. Alive. That same, not diminished, not let that same power is available to you and me. So what does that mean? Here's a big truth. To be a Christian is to fight the battle, but we fight it in the power of the Lord. And not ourselves. We fight in the power of the Lord. And this isn't just relevant to spiritual warfare, but to every aspect of Christian living. Would you agree? 2 Peter 1.3, by his divine power, by the way, same word there, dunamis, by his same dynamite power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. I've said this for 19 years. The Christian life is only possible when Jesus, who lives in us, lives through us this life for us. You and I can only live the Christian life. Listen, when Jesus, who lives in us, lives through us this life for us, the Christian life is possible because the power and presence of Jesus lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. But there's a role that you and I play. Catch this. You need to what? Allow God to work in you in such a way that the resurrection power of Jesus can be appropriated and accessed in your spiritual power. To which you go, well, how do we do that? James says, Chapter, James chapter 4, verse one, verse 7. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Because that's how you can, he says, resist the devil. And he'll flee from you. Submission to God is the way that you could resist the devil so he could flee. This is huge, isn't it? Listen, this resurrection power is available to those who are submitted, yielded, surrendered with every aspect of their lives, every moment of their lives to his lordship. I just literally described why some of us are continually flailing in this battle and some of us are walking in victory. It has nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian. It nothing to do how much of the Bible you know. Nothing with any of that stuff. It is literally down to are you submitted, yielded, and surrendered so his power can flow through you or are you saying my power, my might, 
my smarts, my resources, my capacity. Hmm. Hmm. This power is available when you and I, listen, come to the end of ourselves. And we say, God, I can't. Palms open, I can't. Right? Surrender. I, I can't do this on my own, God. I, I can't forgive that person on my own. I can't overcome that temptation on my own. I can't love people that are unlovable on my own, God. I can't live justly on my own, God. I can't do any. So I need you to come do for me what I can't do on my own. And because, child of God, because God loves you and me, he will bring you and me to the end of ourselves where we have no choice but to depend on him if dependence on god is the objective then weakness is an advantage for it is when we are weak that he is what strong Have you come to the end of yourself yet? Are you still going, I'm smart enough, I'm resourced enough, I've got enough money, I've got an education, I've got a job. Have you come to the end of yourself yet? Verse 11, so put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Here's another command. So I'm going to be strong in the Lord. How do you do that? By continually and repeatedly putting on the spiritual armor, spiritual protection that God has provided for you. Why do we need to do that? We're going we're gonna to spend two weeks on this and then a couple weeks so that we could fight the devil's schemes. The devil's schemes. The devil's schemes. Two things real quick. The devil. We're going to talk a little bit about the devil. I don't want to spend too much time talking about the devil next week because he's not the focus, right? But we need to know where our enemy is. The devil, first of all, you and I don't have to be afraid of the devil. Can we just, can I just get a name? You and I don't, we don't have to be afraid. Even my 10-year-old knows that. What do you mean? This was like three weeks ago before I, he even knew I was preaching on spiritual warfare. I was talking to Noah one night. I'm tucking him to bed. And he says, Daddy, do you know that sometimes when I'm going to sleep, I have these scary like things that seem to like come out of nowhere. And they just kind of, they just come and surround me. And I said, what do you do? I kid you not. No, no one goes, well, well, well then I just, I just pray and ask Jesus to come. I just pray and ask Jesus to come. And, and I said, what happens? And he goes, well, Jesus just kind of comes and all these dark forces go. Pfft. This is my 10-year-old son who's never heard a single teaching on spiritual warfare. Listen, Satan is a created being. He not, he's not on par with God. Remember I said last week, this isn't Hollywood. This isn't God here, Satan here, and tug of war. Satan is a created being. So listen, two things that he's got you believing that isn't true. He can't read your mind. He's not omniscient. Satan can't read your mind. He could plan thoughts. He can't read your mind. Well, how does he know then? Because he studies you very carefully. And he watches. He watches what you read, what you see, how you respond when she says that. Secondly, he's not limitless in power. He's got a major leash on him, okay? And the person that's holding the leash is the creator of the universe. 
Satan is a defeated foe. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, having canceled the written code with his regulations that was against us and stood opposed us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross secured both our salvation and Satan's doom. Do you understand that? There's no suspense in the kingdom like, how's this going to all end? What's going to happen to him? We find what's going to happen to him in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's his future. His future was sealed when Jesus conquered sin and death by dying and rising again. But, 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 listen, 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 but, though the victory is won, it has not yet been completely enforced. To which I know, <laughs> I'm going, God, why? But in his infinite wisdom, even though the enemy is defeated, victory is won, his future sealed, it has not yet been completely enforced. But here's the good news. It will be enforced finally and completely when he returns and establishes kingdom and wipe out every evil, every injustice. But Satan knows that that's his future. Now you need to listen to this. He knows he's got limited time. So what is he doing? He is saying, I am going to wreak as much havoc and as much destruction as I possibly can. Which makes him so dangerous. You need to know how he works, how he wreaks havoc and destruction. And like I said, we're going we're gonna to spend literally two weeks just on this because you need to know you need to know this. The Christian life is a fight with the devil's schemes. Schemes. That's how he wreaks havoc and destruction. Through his schemes. That word schemes literally from, is a Greek word from which we get the word methods. We need to know his methods. We need to know how he works. Again, I'm going to spend next week and the week after just on his methods, his schemes. But today, let me give you a teaser. Paul tells us what his methods are. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Paul says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy what? Strongholds. Listen, listen. Some of you have heard this before. Don't get freaked out by the word strongholds. Strongholds literally just means a habitual pattern of thought built into your life. A habitual pattern of thought built into your life. It often starts with the wound that we experience or hurt or disappointment that makes our heart fertile soil for what? The enemy to plant seeds. And on this foundation, what does the enemy do? He begins to build brick by brick, stone by stone, strongholds around lies about God, lies about you, lies about the world. I can't tell you how often I've heard this stronghold. And this is how it starts. A person grows up and some father figure disappoints them, right? And so they begin to build this narrative. I can't trust people. I can't trust people. And so what happens? Every single life situation where something happens, Satan just reinforces that narrative. You can't trust people. You can't, you can't trust people. You can't trust people. You can't trust people. And all of a sudden, this Christian is walking around going, why can't I trust God? I don't understand. Why? 
stronghold. Verse 5, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking, taking every captive, I thought every captive to the obedience of Christ. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Again, I'm going to spend two weeks on this. Listen, Satan doesn't come in a pitchfork and red jumpsuit. That's not how he works. As long as we picture him in this overt manifestation, he's got Jimmy exactly where he wants us to be. The battleground for this unseen battle is largely between your ears. The battle, Christian, is for your mind. It's for your belief system. Do you understand about God, about you, and about what's happening in the world? That is where the battle is. Why? Here's what Satan knows. What you believe will impact your emotions, which will impact how you behave. Let me say that again. What you believe absolutely will impact your emotions, which then impacts how you behave. So what does Satan do? He attacks your belief system. How does he do that? He lies to you. He lies to you. He lies to you. Go back to Genesis 3, which we'll do next week. He doesn't leave fang marks on their flesh. He leaves what? Lies in their hearts. Think about what's ailing you today and ask, is the root of this issue somehow related to what I believe about God? Am I struggling with this because of what I believe about myself? Am I struggling with this because of what I believe about the world and what's happening? Do you hear the voice of Satan that says, did God really say what? You can't trust his character. You can't trust his word. He said you're going to die. You will surely not die. Do I believe the truth about who God says he is? That he is good and loving? When I'm sitting in the intensive care unit and I hear a voice that says, if God was truly loving and good, why would? Do I believe the truth about me and who I am? That I'm beloved, I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm perfect. When we give in to sin and Satan comes with condemnation and shame that says, you're not lovable. You can't be forgiven. Not this time. Do I believe the truth about God? And what he says he is up to, that he is for me, that he is my best interest at heart at all times when I'm enduring seasons of waiting. Waiting. What you believe will affect your emotions, which will affect how you behave. Are you aware of the schemes? Are you aware of the schemes? First of all, for our struggle anti combat is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The Christian life is a multidimensional fight. Remember, we talked about this. The struggle is not a material issue. If all you see is what you see, then you will never see all that there needs to be seen. If all you see is what you see, You'll never see all that there needs to be seen. The flesh and blood behind our addictions, behind the conflict, behind racism, behind war, is not just flesh and blood. Verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Again, you and I are responsible to put on the armor. You and I are responsible to put on the armor. 
It's provided for us, but he will not provide it. Uh, he will not put it on for you. And it's tense in the verb where this is provided. This is what God does, but you and I have to do it. We need to appropriate the ongoing protection that God has provided for us. I'm reminded of the story in Luke chapter 8. Remember, the disciples are out in the boat. Seas are wa- raging and they're freaking out. They're scared. Jesus, do you care? Do you love us? And why would you? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, where is your faith? He doesn't say, you need more faith, child of God. He says what? He says, where is it? You don't need more faith. You have all the faith that you need. Take it out. Practice it. Use it. You know who I am. You know what I've done. And then he gives us the reason why we need to put on the armor. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Day of evil, literally the evil day means on a particular day at a particular time. There are specific times when the enemy is going to come and try to deceive you, discourage you, and turn you away from your general commander, Lord Jesus Christ. And quickly, quickly, I came up with like five things that the enemy does when spiritual attacks come. Take quick notes and we'll come back to this next week. Spiritual attacks come, for example, evil day, spiritual attacks come when we're taking significant steps towards faith and spiritual growth every time when you commit to praying being engaged in the word you start fasting you start memorizing scripture you start saying i need community i can't be i need community you start sharing your faith your resources you start taking significant steps you better believe it there'll be spiritual warfare here's another spiritual attacks come when we start invading enemy territory how many of us have ever been on mission trips? I've been on like 15 global overseas everywhere, and there's not been a single mission trip where there wasn't significant demonic opposition. Also, I had a chance to meet John Perkins, Dr. John Perkins, who's involved in reconciliation work almost all of his life. I'll never forget this conversation. I was talking to him after a conference one day, and he said to me, he said, you know, I don't know if it's coincidence, but every single person I've known who was involved in reconciliation work has had their marriages blown up, died early with health issues. This isn't a game. If you are somebody committed and called to racial justice, racial reconciliation work, you better prepare yourself because the enemy hates it. Spiritual attacks also come when we're exposing him for who he really is. Pray for your pastor. I'm experiencing spiritual warfare like never before. Why? Because Satan hates the light. He thrives in the darkness. And when you disrobe him, he attacks you. Spiritual attacks also come when you repent and break with the world and long-held sin patterns or unholy relationships. Satan will throw the kitchen sink at that couple who are not married but living together. Decide, Lord, we want to live and follow you in your way, so we're going to move out. Spiritual attacks will come to that young man who finally decides I need to be open about my pornography addiction so I'm going to be involved in celebrate recovery. And literally the day after he realizes that he is fighting temptation like he has in him. When you decide, God, I'm going to break with the world, long held sin patterns and unholy relationships, he hates the enemy, losing one of his own. So he'll come after you. And lastly, spiritual attacks come when God is preparing us individually or corporately for a great work of his glory. Come on, somebody. God is preparing us individually, corporately, for a great work of his glory. 
Read the book of Nehemiah. He begins to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Revival's about to take place. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are pretty exciting. Chapters 4, 5, 6 are all about opposition. Opposition in general. And then his life is threatened. Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, right before he is to launch his ministry. Spiritual warfare. Anytime, anytime God is up to something great, we have the attention of the enemy and the kingdom of darkness. So child of God, if you are experiencing opposition because you are pushing back darkness and doing something for God's glory, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Verse 14, we're almost done. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Two broad implications on all the verbs. Number one, the verbs and the present tense. Again, ongoing nature of the intended action. Principle? You don't put your armor on in the middle of the battle. You don't put your armor on in the middle of the battle. You don't wait for the flaming arrows to start flying before you go, where's my shield? Where'd my sword go? Where'd my helmet go? If you do, it's too late. Think with me. So many of us are ill-equipped and ill-prepared for the battle. Why? Because we are pictured a soldier who is what? Disengaged from the battle, has his armor off, and all of a sudden he is engaged in warfare. He's going, oh, I can't. He is too late. Let me just practically apply this. If things are going well in your life, if there are great disappointments, there aren't losses, there aren't failures, then you're not tempted to despair. If you're not experiencing persecution, criticism, rejection, then you're not tempted to anger and to resentment. If there's no seductive setting at every turn, you're not tempted to give in to lust. In other words, for many of us, if you're not experiencing some overt, real, tangible battles going on, you spiritually coast. You just spiritually coast. Things are good, we just coast. Some of y'all are coasting right now. What does it mean? They're not much of a prayer life. Some of y'all are coasting. What does it mean? You're not really in the word. You just, you know, you're just superficial here and there for a couple minutes. You're not in community. I mean, I don't think you're kind of sort of in community, but it's just formality. You just coast. Then the arrows appear in the middle of the air. And the arrows got flames on them. And you don't have your armor on. And you're all of a sudden scrambling and going, where, where is the church? Where is the community? Where is the battle? And you need to know this. You need to know this. Look at me. The fortification of your soul, the armoring of your soul, the strengthening of your soul against unbelief, against despair, against discouragement, against lies the enemy, against anger, against resentment. Your soul, your soul being armored against all of those things takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't armor up, snap of a finger. It's an ongoing, constant action, nurture, grown through seasons. Christian, are you coasting? How's your prayer life? Oh, things are good. I'm just. How's your time in the Word? As we'll see in the next upcoming weeks, if we're going to fight lies, you need to know the truth. 
You need to know the truth. We're not talking superficial giving. You need to know the truth. You need to know the word of God. Are you, are you deep in it? Community? Oh, you know, I'll take it, leave it. Of course, when things are good. But now all of a sudden, I'm in trouble now. I need community. Remember what I say? If they're not built in, it's too late. Which brings me to this. All the verbs are also, not just in the present tense, they're in the plural. Which, what does it mean? He's not writing to individuals. He's writing to groups of people. What do I mean? You cannot fight this battle alone. Huh. You cannot fight the spiritual battle alone, church. We are to help each other dress for battle. Can I get an amen? It's not enough to preach truth to yourself. We need to preach truth to each other. It's not enough just to encourage yourself. We need to encourage each other. We need to just remind ourselves of identity. We need to remind each other of our identity. You hear me? We help each other dress. You have to do this communally. If you're alone, you have no support, no accountability, then you're dead meat. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter describes a lot, uh, the devil as a roaring lion. I had a chance to visit Kenya and Tanzania in 1989, where I got to spend some time with the Maasai warriors, who are fierce warriors. They're known for hunting lions. I don't know if this is true, but it's what I heard from this man, so I'm going to go with it. He says, this is how lions hunt. They're very patient. Very patient. They'll wait for hours if they need to. Then secondly, they don't attack herds. Because there's one. And then they wait patiently for one or two to wander off from the pack. That's when they attack. Now I've told you guys for months and years, two tactics of the enemy, isolation and what? Secrecy. Isolation, secrecy. Secrecy. You, you, ever, you ever hear a voice that says, you can't tell anybody this? What will, what will they think if, if you told them? Are they going to judge you? They're going to think you're the worst person. To... Shh. This is why family secrets, family strongholds endure for generations. Somebody in the family said, don't tell anybody. Satan dwells in the domain of shadows and secrets. God lives in the land of light and honesty. Bring your problems out in the open and the power and stronghold gets broken. Let me say that again. Bring it out in the open and the power and stronghold gets broken. Isolation. Ever hear a voice that says, nobody can take care of you like you? Come on, nobody. You know, come on, community, please. That's for weak people. <gasps> Remember the last time you put yourself out there in community and they hurt you? can't trust them again. Ecclesiastes 4.12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. I love that. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. The last three verses, let me end with this. With this in mind, be alert, verse 18, and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare as fearlessly as I should. He ends with what? Pray, 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 pray. Here's the principle, intercessory. Prayer is our most powerful and strategic weapon in spiritual warfare. 
I did a study of Book of Acts. I actually preached it over like three-year periods. Some of y'all know. You laugh right now, right? Do you know that every single time in the Book of Acts, you could do it for yourself, where there was a major breakthrough, a major revival, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter nine, chapter ten, every single one of them. Do you know what was behind it? Prayer, prayer, prayer. Intentional, not just here and there. Intentional, ongoing prayer. Prayer is critical in the ministry of deliverance. By the way, I'm going to talk about that. Ministry of deliverance It's critical in the ministry of deliverance. Remember Mark chapter 9? Jesus is coming down from Mount of figure, configure, uh, Transfiguration, and what happens? A man comes and says, Jesus, Jesus, your disciples couldn't cast a demon out of my child. And Jesus says, this only comes out through what? Prayer and fasting. Deliverance ministry, prayer fasting. And then what's very sobering for me in the Last Supper, Luke's account, Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. I have prayed for you. Intercessory prayer is the most powerful strategic weapon. Father, find us on our knees because we know that it's when we get on our knees that you stretch your powerful right hand. Father, find us on our knees. Help us to develop calluses on our knees. Because it's when we get on our knees that you stretch out your powerful right Church, will you pray with me? I want what I just said to you to reverberate in your mind right now. Father, find us on our knees. Because it's when we find ourselves on our knees that you stretch your powerful right hand. I'm going to lead us in a short time of prayer. I'm going to have on your screen a short brief prayer that I wrote. And I'm going to read it, but I want you to contextualize it and make it your own. So pray this prayer with words that might be more fitting for you, but it's giving an idea, okay? Just an idea. As you close your eyes, gather your heart. Here, here's, a, here's the first one. First prayer is, is this. Lord Jesus, please open my eyes to see the unseen battle that is waging all around me. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We know this. Jesus, lift the veil and show me exactly where the enemy is at work in my life. Jesus, lift the veil and show me right now where I am giving the enemy a foothold. And as you pray that right now, some of y'all, God is speaking so loudly. Come on. Here's a second prayer. Jesus. The enemy is the father of lies. It's his native tongue. So, Father, please show me what lies I am being tempted to believe. 
about you, about me, and about what's happening in my life right now. Show me what lies I'm vulnerable to. I'm being tempted to believe, God, about you, who you are, about me, who I am, and about what you're up to. Okay, and here's the last one. Jesus, I am powerless on my own to defeat the enemy. I need your power and your strength. But your promise of power is available to those who are submitted and surrender to you. So, Father, show me areas in my life where I am not wholly submitted and surrendered to you. Father, show me what areas in my life relationships, finance, my sexuality, my ministry, my relationships, my job, parenting, children. Show me what areas of my life I am not wholly and totally surrendered to you. And as Jesus shows you, church, simply pray this, Lord Jesus, have your way. Lord Jesus, 